welcome to the NetWorlden podcast with me, Penny Green, NET psychologist. Today, uh, we're very lucky to be joined by Rosie Moss uh, from the New Conservation Partnership and Sean Hancocks, who is a digger driver extraordinaire. <laughs> Hi, guys. How are you doing? Hello. Very good. Nice. Well, it's so nice to have you here. Uh, you've been here for several weeks, and I know you're saying it's a bit bittersweet this morning, yes, the fact right. you're heading off after uh, spending a few weeks here. Uh, Rosie, can you tell us a bit about uh, the New Conservation Partnership and why you've been here at NEP? Excellent. Yeah, so the Newt Conservation Partnership is a community, community benefit society that focuses solely on creating high-quality habitat for Great Crested Newts. And this is all funded through development um, through the Great Crested Newt District Licensing Scheme, which came in in 2018 and is an alternative to expensive, lengthy, traditional EPS mitigation, European Protected Species. So when we create ponds, we're looking for the elements really are what the terrestrial landscape is like and that we're going to get a clean water source and NEP mm-hmm. has the perfect terrestrial habitat for great crested newts mm-hmm. um, they actually live most of their life on land and just come into ponds to breed and so they like woodland scrub and rough grassland of which there's lots a lot of that around here exactly. yeah exactly and um, they also need a good hedgerow network which we've also got here um, we try to create our ponds within a kilometre of an existing Great Crested Newt record. Sure. And I can see from where I'm standing <laughs> where we last saw newts. Yeah, uh, it has to be within a kilometre so they can colonise naturally. Mm. So we've got an existing population here as well, which is great. It's not, we don't know the size of it because mm. it's not been surveyed some, mm. but we will be coming back and doing surveys every year, eDNA testing. Um, so yeah, it's just the perfect site to create new ponds and one of the best things about it is lovely clay. Yeah, and we're going to talk to Sean about the clay in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> find out more about the importance of the, the clay which we curse most of the time. Exactly. <laughs> but actually Sean really loves no, it. Love it. It's good for us. <laughs> he loves it. <laughs> um, so, um, of course, like um, uh, we're creating ponds here for great crested newts, but there's going to be loads of other benefits for other wildlife, mm-hmm. isn't there, from these amazing ponds because they're quite complex and um not just like a small sort of little bowl or whatever they're very complex ponds so what other kind of wildlife might we see turning up into these ponds once they start filling with water over this autumn so when these fill up and stay full which is what we're hoping will happen soon as we get some nice rain um these ponds have been created with a focus on the drawdown zone mm-hmm. which is where the majority of life is found in the first 10 centimeters of the water ah, okay um, these drawdown zones they fluctuate in the water level mm. um, throughout the year so in the summer there's water um, in the summer they're drier so they might be a bit marshy a bit muddy mm-hmm. um, and then in the winter they're full and this creates really diverse habitat for loads of invertebrates especially mm. rare ones um, wetland plants we also have all the mammals that come that will use the ponds either for watering or if we've got some nice rare bat species here which I'm sure we do yeah um, Dorbentons particularly like ponds um, they're, they're picking up the little insects that hatch off the water surface, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, it's on those. quite amazing yeah. to watch them as well. So also, cool. the swallows love mm. the ponds, and that's why we, we're very particularly happy with our one up and near Swallows Lane to get those swallows back. Yeah, and the most cool thing is is that that's where the new Nep Kitchen and Shop is, and it's at Swallows Farm, and so we're really keen to get swallows nesting back there. So back having there. that wonderful pond up there exactly. with all the little insects, and also the mud as well that house martins and swallows yes. need to be able to create their nests. And we get those in that drawdown zone. Mm. We're exposing that wet mud for them to use, so it's really good for them. 
and obviously we've got amphibians which love ponds they all need ponds to breed all of our amphibian species and then um, even our, one of our snake species grass snake they forage in ponds and they eat all the animals that we're trying to protect but we love grass snakes as well <laughs> they're so important too they're very important so there's there's multiple there's actually quite a high number of um, uk bat species as well that use ponds mm. and they tend to be much more diverse than other water bodies such as streams and rivers in terms of species richness so mm. they're actually very beneficial for um biodiversity on the site so we'd mm. like to help nep get that biodiversity up yeah love it i love a species list exactly as much as you do rosie <laughs> very excited about you coming back and doing monitoring here yes. <laughs> and actually I, I have actually skipped over the most important thing can you tell everyone uh what makes a pond a pond when does a pond become a lake and um that you know there's it's quite it's, it's quite a bit of a, a gray area in it some is respects, a gray area it? there's a almost area. <laughs> so, a, <laughs> so a pond is basically any pool of water it can be a pond can even be sort of one meter by 50 centimeters that can be classed as a pond a scrape is also kind of a pond but it's just a shallow pond Mm -hmm. and a lake is essentially just a big old pond they're all sort of one in the same there's no cut off where it's oh this one's over 700 meters squared it's a lake um it's just sort of not to do depth or anything no it's and lakes tend to be just quite massive so in the new um uh habitat classification oh, i can't remember what it's called now the new hab instead of um phase one surveys mm. ponds aren't there they're not counted in they're not counted in bng as type of habitat types either it's just lakes so there's a very blurred wow. line between what is a lake and what is a pond a lake's a big pond <laughs> that's what I yeah, i'm really glad we've cleared this up right now <laughs> <laughs> And um, so in the past, we would have had more natural processes, large herbivores, beavers, those kind of things in our landscape. Um, These would have formed our ponds in the past. So um, why are we having to dig them now? So we lost a lot of our water in the landscape due to all the infrastructure that was put in um, after the Second World War, where there was a lot of land drains Mm. put in. These took a lot of the water away from existing ponds that would have been in fields to water livestock. So once upon a time, there was a pond in every field. Mm. And those things are still... You can still see remnants of that today by you get when you see field names in land. Sometimes mm. it will say pond field, but there's no pond in there. Mm. Um, so we're basically trying to restore water bodies that would have been mm. here once upon a time and there just would have been a lot more water across the landscape and within the substrate which now is being pulled away by land drains yeah uh, really interesting um and, and here at nep we have a lot of land drains i'll talk to sean about them anyway yeah. the bane of his life yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so um uh, people use a term that a normal pond is ephemeral and an ephemeral pond is forever so it's the idea that a normal pond has the onslaught of succession kind of constantly sort of threatening it mm-hmm. um, and can be lost over quite a short amount of time uh, can you tell us about ephemeral ponds and what succession is so the succession is essentially like the age how the pond is aging mm. um each pond has value no matter what stage it's at so a a new pond like this is really good for certain plant species that prefer to colonize new ponds and then as we get slower longer in succession 
you'll get ponds that are really overshaded by trees, maybe full of leaf litter and silt, but they're really good for invertebrates. Mm. And at every stage in the succession, a pond will have different species that have adapted to the certain succession of the pond. We've had ponds in the landscape for millions and millions of years. Mm. So there are specialists, there are so many pond specialists that like ponds at each successional stage. So the good thing about NEP is we've got old overshaded ponds, we've got ponds that are quite grown up in vegetation mm. and the we've now created a bunch of new ponds that are had their early succession so it's really creating diverse habitats yeah and, and the large herbivores are an important part of they are really helping important. to keep it open again you've got those natural processes um mm. you know otherwise missing in a, the wider landscape that you've got the pigs coming and rootling around the edges the deer like to come and wallow in them on a hot day as you guys saw in the mm. new ponds you know you already had all these animals turning up going hey a new pond this is great you know and you have like the cattle coming down they're going into the pond they're probably eating a bit of vegetation yeah. having a drink and so like you say the ponds are a really integral part of our landscape and actually you know i think that a lot of them the, your new ones that you be creating mm. will be kept quite open by the fact that we've got these animals here and yeah. all of the kind of disturbance factors that they cause that yeah. will help keep them open it's another reason why nep's so perfect for this scheme because you've got the bigger herbivores so the mm. cattle and the horses they create when they poach the margins of the pond they create this micro topography mm. which is good for loads of different species um, and they also keep the encroaching vegetation back we like a little bit mm. but things like bulrush when that first appears it's really sweet and the cows the cows will eat that and keep it back mm. um, but even just the deer as well they're they're it's all just helping to stop that pond from essentially aging into oblivion and disappearing <laughs> yeah because yeah. um, that can happen within 20 years depending on if it's by a big deciduous tree or something like that so yeah mm. the animals are a really integral part of pond management and so um you're you're creating brand new ponds here which you said are like you know easier than trying to restore a pond so you've been here this summer sort of creating new ponds and hopefully you're going to come back as well over sort of the autumn and winter and start uh, restoring some of the older ponds here that are on their last legs yes and probably have got to the end of their useful life for the, the lovely suites of species that you've just been talking about mm-hmm. so that we're really looking forward to some of those being opened back up again um, so I'm aware uh, that some of the ponds here do dry out in dry summers um, and you know they are important to have that natural drawdown zone there'll be species that specialise in that there's a couple of really cool species that we don't have at NEP well I don't think we have fairy shrimp I really wish we did um, but know. I know <laughs> I've got to get a licence I've got to get a licence to be able to sort of take uh, sort of soil samples and breed them through but um, can you tell us a bit about fairy shrimps and triops I think you have down in the new forest don't you yeah so we do so a lot of we have also fairy shrimp on some of our MOD sites that mm. we work on because of how the the tracking of the vehicles has created these ruts that fill and dry and fill and dry. And they mm. basically, they their eggs lay dormant in the mud and they can lay dormant for a very, very like shocking fairy, amount of time. Fairy shrimps is 50 years. Yeah. They can remain as a desiccated egg. And then when it's re-wetted... It's mad. And then the fact that they don't all... Um, hatch on the first re-wetting mm. it can be several re-wetting so basically they're not putting all, literally all their eggs in one yeah, basket yeah. so something so happens how do to they that. know it's just nuts how do they know it? but they do and yeah that's that it would be really interesting if we had them here but yeah that's um they're they're the sort of sites i think yeah we do have one in the new forest although we we've, we've only really just got hampshire into the scheme but mm. yeah we are starting to do some 
I know there are some million ponds projects that are mm. in the new forest that have fairy shrimp. So good. Um, there's also things like medicinal leeches and stuff that oh, yeah, are quite yeah. rare, and I w- it would be really interesting to see if you've got any of those here too. Mm. And that might get picked up in the monitoring that you come it back and do. It very well might be, because we, we come back every year to do eDNA testing for great crested newts, but while we're there, we do have a little wade in the rummage and in net and just see what's <laughs> there. But I'm sure there there might be a suite of surveys just to establish a baseline of mm. what's sort of here so that we can monitor it as we go on i think that'd be so cool and, really I, really and i love the idea of edna as well sort of embracing technology mm. and i think okay we we are sort of naturalists that love being out in the field and i don't ever want our jobs to be taken away from us and that kind of that knowledge base that we all have like from being out in the field but actually edna can add an extra dimension onto what we're learning can't yeah. it it's the most foolproof way of getting a, a positive or negative um, and they're also developing metabarcoding testing now where you can test the whole suite of everything that's in there. And we actually, our monitoring report has just been completed and we had a pond that we metabarcoded and it had camel DNA in it, which we what? then found out was because they had alpacas <laughs> drinking from the pond. Amazing. So yeah, the technology has really come forward and it's really amazing what we can find. And um, how is how do you like take the samples for eDNA and the metabarcoding? What, what process do you physically go through to get that and the process it goes through so it's uh, very basic you get a little kit from a lab which comes with your ethanol bottles and you take 20 samples of water around the pond mm. you have to be very careful that this water isn't contaminated with even just the tiniest bit of plant material um that the that will block the marker in the lab that picks up the dna so we have to make sure these it's very laborious you have to make sure you've got some nice clear water samples all get shaken up sent to a lab the lab comes back and basically tells us what's there it's very it's it's i'd like to say it's foolproof but it's actually a slightly more complicated oh yeah that is it's a lot more complicated and interestingly there's you know some species that haven't been sort of barcoded yet i believe Uh, but we can know that they are a different species to other things that have been recorded there and perhaps they're kind of samples we can come back to in the future once we've got that yeah. information i just like find it's like so it's futuristic really i know it's so cool, cool isn't, isn't it? it i love it <laughs> so um so that's very cool so i'm going to come over and say hi to sean oh yeah hello hi, there hi sean um so um you have been very busy over the last few weeks creating 12 new ponds here at net yep. across the regenerative farm and also the rewilding project mm-hmm. uh some of them are huge and at the moment they're quite messy uh, especially the bottoms of the ponds are quite rough yeah yeah we intend to keep bottoms. it that way rough bottom yeah <laughs> rough <bottoms. laughs> but uh, sean I, i've been watching you at work and like looking at what you've done and it's absolutely astounding oh, thank you. so you're not just digging a big old no there's a lot more you? to it than it's really complex yeah just digging a basin we obviously like the rough bottoms due to the fact that as rose has explained now different things are going to use this Mm. so they can get in it it's only nooks and crannies but it's enough just to protect them from a heron or a grass snake Mm. anything so you've always got to it looks a bit of a mess now i must admit but it's um (laughs) you're proud of it i'm proud of it it's what (laughs) we're aiming to do yeah it's it's, um yeah it's I don't know where we can put it, really. It's, it's harder to make a proper mess than what it is to do a tidy job. You it, had to it, really think about this mess, haven't you? You have, yes, yes, you have. Yeah. It's interesting to see, sort of, obviously, you're thinking about where the water's coming off of the landscape yeah. around the pond. Yes. So you've got like little kind of um, channels feeding into the pond. You've got really deep bits. We're, we're sort of standing next to a pond now, I should yeah. say, looking at one of your creations. It's got really deep bits. It's got lovely, rough, shallow edges 
and it's you know just really complex looking um, yeah. and they're big as well aren't they how, how big is this one um about this one. 150 what? this yeah. is yeah one of the smaller ones but the northern block are much bigger they yeah they, they, yeah, they're really they're good yeah, they so really excited are. to see these start to fill up yeah. so some of them have actually have already got water in from yes the they're filling up rain. well and you yeah. can see a lot of that is where we've actually looked at the landscape whereas actually drawing in mm. you can see the wet patches coming in the gather points so you know it's working it's that's what we look at is, so is actually, yeah it's working already <laughs> so a, a big process of it we I tend to stand there for probably half hour or more and just look around and see what's happening and then you know then obviously we've got this little gather point here that's sort of pulling in water there's a bit of a ridge there um which mm. and built up in that area well you can't really see this i'm only talking but that's going to channel water in mm. from that side rather yeah, you than can run see. off. And you know that's such a massive skill that you've got is that you can visualise how a pond could sit in a landscape yeah. whereas a lot of other you know I wouldn't know where to begin where, with this. Where to start. And you were saying it's quite difficult actually knowing where to put your first um, sort of spade a, in as a, it were. Again yeah it is you, you know you've got to look at it again the landscape which is the low part the high mm. part because if you're not careful you end up digging everything out and you've got so much spoil mm. you don't know where to do it so your, your pond then ends up and nothing and yeah. that's when you end up with just a bowl in the ground because you don't know what to do with all the yeah. the material you've got and obviously the excess material then creates these little noses which channels water off into different areas and gathers so it up good. and yeah and, and and you know clearly we haven't got any pond liners here and we were no. talking about the clay soil earlier on can you tell us what you do to help the water actually stay in in the well, pond that you've we're created? lucky you're at nep anyway it is like a the clay is amazing it really is it's 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 the best you can ever work with really so you need to do very little with it mm. once you get down to a point you, you can tell that the clay you pick it up and ball it and it's mm. it's pliable you can make it's, a pot you can make it. a pot out of it it's, <laughs> yeah. it's working yeah. so we get down to that degree then and obviously we layer that around the sides mm. where we build up 200 mil layers track it all in bash it in which creates another seal you're virtually mm. puddling the pond up in layers mm. which holds all that in then and uh, using the material and puddling was like a, a, a technique that used to be used in the past or maybe still people do use yeah. it now where you put your sheep in and they run around in the bottom run around of your in the pond, pond and you can see and evidence of that already because one of the ponds in the northern block i wasn't quite sure about the substrate it wasn't mm. the best mm. the cows got in it with the wet and you they've gone all around that now and it's holding water and it's compacted the soil it's down it's compacted mm. it it's made the divots everything are going to get in it's it's really working quickly you, yeah this is a great place for the 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 clay and everything is really good and um is you know we this has taken did you say about four hours to this dig one this was pond? about four hours yes uh, but your first ever pond that you oh, dug what 15 years ago yeah, when you first learning the ropes that would have been the best part of a week i would imagine <laughs> by the time you got it right and looked at it and stalked there already there's storks flying over <laughs> it's funny every podcast i do a stork flies over it's like an omen they come to brilliant. check out your ponds they're yeah, excited they probably what are. they're going to be able to find on the edge looking of it. at all the nooks and crannies <laughs> they're going to have to get in in a few yeah. years time yeah yeah so how do, how do you learn to actually dig a pond is it just trial and error and just seeing there there is trial and error in it but Mm. i I think to actually create something like this you've got to have quite a a, an interest in nature itself Mm. you've got to think how how it's going to work you know if if you're more into construction general no interest in nature or anything is going around Mm. you would find it very difficult but I've seen you out there in your lunch break, Sean, with your big camera, camera I, lens, taking yeah, photos of dragonflies. Yes, and yes. So you yes. have got that in, you know, integral... Yeah, I've loved it ever since a little boy. That's yeah. all I've ever really enjoyed doing. So was lovely. nature. So it's, it's a great thing now to be able to actually put something back into this, mm. which, you know, something you've always enjoyed doing. 
so lovely. And um, think about the actual po- going back to the pond itself. You know, how dexterous can you actually be with your digger? Because you know they're big old bits of kit, aren't they? With very, huge buckets on the front. Yeah, very. It's if you look at a lot of our machinery, they are a little bit specialist anyway. Mm. We've got what you call like a tilt rotator on the end of the machine, so that enables you again to put all these little shapes in without moving the machine about. So everything is really geared to doing this. Mm. And it's also a point of when you've got that, again, for the environment, it's less movement of the machine, it's less fuel. Everything Mm. is all geared to doing some as it should. But even so, there's still a fair bit of skill in getting it to that stage. Because as, as you've seen, we actually do it with the bulldozer as well. Yeah, it's just amazing like, how is, dexterous you can be like, and how the delicate little movements that you can you make. You can do. With the dozer three metres wide on the blade and you can still get little bits yeah. in and that's... Well, I prefer that way. Absolutely amazing skill you've got and uh, we've, you. we've loved having you here. So Well, I've loved being here. It's been a privilege <laughs> to come in. Yeah. Like you say, it's kept, feels a bit sad today yeah, that you're leaving. dragging it yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be sad to go. I, I will be back again looking at different things, I oh, think. Great. Well, I hope. Oh, maybe get, get some more ponds, hopefully. Get some more yeah. ponds, yeah, and with the camera. So, Brilliant. yeah. Um, so, back to Rosie again. Um, so... We were talking about wildlife earlier on and um, the fact that, you know, we're you know, going to let them fill up with water. So why aren't we planting them up or putting animals and plants in there? What, why are we letting it happen naturally? So we're letting it happen naturally because, first of all, it's more interesting, I personally think, um, to just see... So we're, we're disturbing the seed bank. Um, mm. For example, the pond we're at now, we're disturbing the seed bank in an area which once upon a time could may well have been a pond. Mm. So we don't know what type of wetland plant species we're going to get emerging from here. Um, we also like to rely on the natural processes of seeds and spores and things being brought in by animals yeah. or the wind. Um when it comes to uh, uh, translocating, for example, translocating great crested newts and mm. putting them in there, we don't do that because we like to rely on the fact that they're in the landscape and they'll, if, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> and water, <laughs> literally they say just add water. And yeah. I've seen it at home and we've sort of dug a few ponds. We love ponds at home as well. <laughs> Our garden is one massive pond. Um, it, you know, things turn up really quickly. Yeah. You know, you've got, you know, all your flying insects coming in. Oh, yeah. They find it so quick, like within an hour or two. Even caddisflies at certain points in their life cycle can fly and they'll find these ponds they mm. they really will actually one of the ponds we built that's got a tiny little bit of water in i saw a water boatman in there yesterday and that's been what a couple of weeks yeah. so they do just they they will come and i just think it's much more interesting to just let things happen naturally mm. obviously we've done this unnatural thing by giving them a hand by digging a big old lovely hole but it's it's good to just sort of let nature take its course mm. and colonize naturally mm. and then we get native species for the most part mm. and uh it's all just how it should be yeah i love it and like you say we have like intervened by making people be like well i thought that nep was all about sort of letting everything happen but actually you know there are lots of natural processes that's still missing in our landscape we were talking Mm. about earlier on and obviously we've got beavers back here but they're in a pen at the moment Mm. and we're hoping that over time if we're allowed to let them loose on the wider catchment that we're going to see a lot more big ponds turning up as a result of their hard work but in the in the meantime we you know we can make that intervention and make those ponds and help uh, you know wetland wildlife which is hugely suffering isn't it i think it's something like a 95 percent decline in wetlands in the number yeah. of wetlands that we've got um across the uk so like 
creating a load of 12 ponds is you know giving them a massive helping hand definitely and you know we've got we're most of them are near existing ponds mm. and they're going to help those aquatic plants those insects spread out and you know we're thinking about the wider landscape and um connectivity having a network of ponds is much more important isn't it having yes. lots of lots of ponds rather than just one massive pond yeah pond complexes are always more richer in biodiversity mm. than just an individual pond that's sort of out plonked in a field out on its own mm. Um, and the best thing about some of our ponds are very, very close to existing ponds, so it's going to be interesting to see what we get in. We have had some... Um, there are records of water violet as well on site, mm. so we'd love to get some of those in the ponds colonising naturally. And it's very possible be, because yeah. we'll have the cattle in some of these mm. ponds. They'll be moving in here at some point, and or areas, and then they might bring in seeds. So even though we're hands-on by making them as soon as they're made we're completely hands-off so it's in line mm. with nep's ethos of yeah. hands-off let nature do, do its thing, thing. We're perfect and i have actually seen that we've got you know our lovely pond not too far away from here that has got the water violet in um it wasn't found in any other ponds here and a few years ago i did find it in another isolated pond so i was just like wow i mean how how does you know those plants move around on like heron's feet exactly you know, little sort of seeds or roots or something or that rhizomes. could be it that's it that's one theory so that's sort of what we're looking at is creating these spaces that they those seeds can then mm. come back into the pond but like i said this this one in particular that we've got in quite a it's a rush meadowy sort of area very wet i think this lag in the back runs mm. quite wet in the winter doesn't it um who knows what we'll find here this this is going to be a really interesting one in particular just purely because of the seed bank and um, as part of the funding we've talked about uh, is funded by developers money um monitoring will be funded so you're going to come yeah. back it every year every year in the spring yeah that's also funded by development mm. um we'll monitor the ponds see how they're doing do a little sort of health check on them mm. test the water quality as well which um another reason we chose nep is because there's been no agricultural inputs on the land for a very mm. very long time mm. and all our ponds are surface water fed through runoff and rain all of that runoff is going to be nice clean water mm. so we're really looking at the water quality that you need for those sort of more sensitive mm. invertebrates and amphibians oh yeah and also while we're talking about uh, sort of wildlife i've always wondered how do fish turn up places so fish are the bane of our life i do like fish but they are they're not um conducive to great crested newt breeding ponds because mm. they can actually smell the chemicals that are sort of kicked off by the fish and they the fish predate the larvae and mm. so the great crested newts don't like them okay. fish eggs can survive in the mud okay um so to get rid of fish which is what we do no offense to the fish um, <laughs> we like ponds that completely dry out in the summer mm. those fish eggs die mm. but they're bought in the eggs are bought in on birds feet Mm. Um, whenever a pond is connected to an existing water source there's a risk of fish being introduced as well mm. um, so and then if you have ponds on a floodplain, even though that can be interesting habitat that's also at risk of fish introduction but it tends to just be ponds that are connected to existing water sources and also people people like to put their old goldfish and carp oh, love that. in ponds <laughs> and, and, um, and terrapins and all sorts yeah, of yeah it others. seems like a nice thing yeah. to do for your little Set fish but actually it's not that nice for the existing wildlife no, it's, it's a bit of an ecological disaster if you're putting these big predators into a water mm. body with a lot of sensitive little creatures in there already so there are some that obviously 
the odd stickleback is fine. Yeah. But we don't want big old carp no, gobbling not. up everything in there. <laughs> they they do also affect the water quality quite mm. a lot. Oh yeah, I'm sure that it's, it's sort of nitrates they must release. They just the... kick the they kick the um, substrate up mm. at the bottom of the pond up, so you'll get this chocolate brown effect if a fish is if a pond is overstocked, mm. the water will literally look like chocolate milk. Mm. And they also, they do, they can damage a lot of the um, wetland plants mm. and they'll just eat a pond till there's nothing in there. So, so at good levels of stock density, fishing's fine. Fishing the ponds are fine, sorry. But if they're overstocked with fish, it, you, can, you can see just from looking at them that they're, mm. not, they're not happy ponds. So we're standing next to a, a big old mess, Sean's mess at the moment. Uh, if we came back in 25 years or 50 years' time, what could we see here? What, what, what would we be looking out on? What was, what was your vision? So because we've located this pond, it is, it's adjacent to a tree line. Um, 25 years' time, there's some scrub on the back boundary. That will be coming up a little bit more. So we might have a bit more overshading mm. on the back boundary of the pond which just creates a bit of diversity. Um, 25 years time, there might be a fair amount of leaf litter from the oaks that sure. the pond's adjacent to. Um, but it, because most of the pond is open, mm. it's not going to be the death of the pond. Mm. We're not going to see this pond lost in 25 years. Mm. And that's because we've been um, strategic about where we've sighted them. Mm. Um, so we've got, we'll have a bit of shading. But also, it just depends what comes up at NEP as well, because, you know, we're encouraging all this scrub to come up. Um, but where we have the grazing to keep it down, I think, honestly, in 25 years' time, if, if everything, the land is managed the same, this pond will still be here, it will still be holding water, might be a tiddly bit mm. overshaded and a bit of leaf litter, but essentially, as a functioning pond, it's going to be still quite young, succession-wise. Oh, love that. Yeah. Will I be retiring by then? I might be. Maybe. I'll come back. Pond come, come down here. here sit, bring my little chair down yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Watch the stalks. Yeah. Watch the stalks and the dragonflies. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, obviously, we're, we're lucky here. We've got a big old uh, playground and we've got these massive ponds we've put in. But what can people do at home in their little gardens, allotments, um, you know, that kind of thing? What can people do to make a difference for, for wetland wildlife? That's a very good question. So... People can create ponds. We've got a really amazing pond building uh, toolkit on the Freshwater Habitats website. There's multiple toolkits on there, which basically just guidelines of how to best make a wildlife pond. And these can vary in size. um, And it just gives you the best principle of how to create them. So don't fill them up with tap water because Mm. they're often full of pollutants Mm. like nitrates. Um, if you can not line them and maybe do it with the clay that's Mm. a bit better but if you do need to plant them up at home and you've got some liner make sure you choose native species of plants Mm. Um, that's very important isn't it very important you go to garden centers and they're still selling like really invasive non-native plants that are clogging up our waterways aren't they and they can be very beautiful but it's we they are they can completely take over yeah Yeah. so yeah if you were going to plant the ponds up you could use native planting uh native planting um try and keep that water just as surface water rainwater let them mm. fill up like that and then yeah just create a bit of diversity when you make the ponds don't just dig a big old hole mm. bit of shallow areas some underwater spits you know you can be quite creative with a spade and you can actually do quite a fair amount of micro topography mm. be more like pond. sean basically yeah just just <laughs> just scale it down as a yeah. mic- and then 
um things like in your garden put it at the back and maybe you could put a little log pile there mm, nice. so you can have some refugia for the amphibians or any grass snakes that are around and um yeah things like allotments are always teeming with life mm. um so yeah just any pond will do you'll get i've seen online people creating ponds just in big sort of 20 litre buckets putting some rocks in there and some plants mm. and you'll get life coming and using that pond very soon so well, i think it's worth down dustbin lid i've got in mine an upside down dustbin dust lid that's great i mean all like old yeah. little sort of belfast sinks that yeah. kind of thing yeah, anything. yeah you can use anything really yeah. can't you, you exactly. create a lovely little sort of oasis in the middle of your garden yeah love it stones and i've got newts and everything and you know what i mean you can yeah. see them coming out it's brilliant yeah it's just a bit of habitat and it's nice to sit and watch isn't it i think it's yeah, a nice really place is. just to kind of yeah. have a bit of downtime and yeah. watch watch the dragonflies go by watch mm. the frogs do yeah. their thing yeah just sit there and very, relax very calming to yeah. humans as well and yeah. also in in the face of sort of climate change resistance it's good mm. it's just good to have a water source for your garden birds yeah uh, for your bees it's good to just have that in your garden because not many people have garden ponds anymore mm. so yeah, definitely worth making a little pond if you're if you're passionate about it. Love that. A lovely takeaway message for everyone. Yeah. Well, More you too. We have absolutely loved having you here. Thank you so much. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what turns up in these ponds. We'll let them fill up with water over. <laughs> I'll just send you updates <laughs> through the winter. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When it's raining, I'll be happy now. Yeah, exactly. Because filling up the ponds. It's, it makes <laughs> you much more keen on the rain because yeah. you go, oh, be good for the ponds. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, to come back down next year and see what dragonflies will already be using it and what vegetation is already getting established. Well, they're appearing already just yeah. with the moisture in the clay. They know. Yeah. You dig it and boom, they're there. It's, yeah, they're, uh, they sniff it out, don't yeah, they? They do. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much. Um, you. It's, so it's been an absolute pleasure having you here. And um, yeah, we'll keep everyone updated with progress. Yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, See you later. So Let's go and look at small ponds. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed this episode. My thanks go to Sean Hancocks and Rosie Moss for spending some time with me and sharing their love for ponds. Check out the Net Wildland podcast webpage for episode notes and links. As always, many thanks go to Leah Brazier for her beautiful artwork, Matt Davidson for his super music, and Ian Bunn for his awesome editing skills. Tune in again soon, but in the meantime, keep it wild. (laughs) 